Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey, yo, folks. I am your host, the Conzie with the most, and I am joined today by the one, the only, the Meeple's champion himself, Justin. Also on the show today is the mysterious Ghost Walker, Matt. And of course, let's not forget Suzanne. This is episode 116 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast, and today is October 4th, 2023. On today's episode, we'll cover our top five spooktacular games. Of course, it's that time of year. And then we'll dive into the news, let you know what conventions and other things are going on in the tabletop gaming industry. But first... Let's roll into the games we have been playing. All right, so uh, we're going to get started with some games that we have been playing multiple times, actually, in the last month. First one we have is Root. This is by Leader Games. This has been out for uh, quite a while, actually, and has several expansions. But just recently, we've had the opportunity to play it uh, with more than just two players, which means you get to explore more factions and get some of our uh, extra factions out for the uh, expansion packs that we have. So those of you who aren't familiar with Root, it is a game of forest critters. Everyone is a different forest critter faction. And these are, when you say asymmetric factions, these are very asymmetric. You have the same basic pattern of uh, times a day that you finish on your turn, that you work through. You work through bird song. uh, I believe it's daytime and evening, I think. There's three times a day that you work through with your faction when it's your turn. But what you do in there can vary so widely. If you are the Marquis, then you are can only craft implements if you have workshops. Where other ones, if you are the Vagabond, you can only craft if you happen to have two mallet tokens that are unused right now. So it just, it really varies what your goals are for your end to score points, whether it's trading with others, helping others, having majority rules in different areas, putting your roosts out around the board to claim some area control that way, going and uh, stealing from others. There's just, it's such a wide variety. There's ways you have to fight or not fight if you're a more peaceful faction. You want to make alliances with other uh, critters there. So there's just a wide range of what you're doing, but you're going through on your turn and you are always, you're having a way that you could potentially craft something that you can move around the board, that uh, you can gain different cards that are multi-use cards then that can also help you and aid you in fights or defending different areas. So it's just, I mean, that's a very 
sounds a very confusing way to explain how to play this game, but until you actually look at each of the characters and each of the factions, it sounds confusing, but it really isn't. Once you get one round, you're like, this is exactly what I do. I know what to do. So I've had the opportunity to play, I think, four different factions right now. And I know Konzi and Matt have also had a chance to play a couple different factions. For myself, my favorite so far has been the Vagabonds, which I did the worst in. But you're just kind of going around and helping other people. And I don't know, Konzi, what is your favorite? faction that you've played so far woodland and alliance and what do you like about that woodland alliance that was not my favorite when i played them they're the they're the terrorists of the forest really we're we just happily put out pamphlets to you know gain our supporters we tell all the other little forest critters how bad everybody else is how they're being suppressed and get them all riled up and then once we get them all riled up enough, we explode and make bases and where we wipe out everybody else where they're on that location. And we, the mighty Woodland Alliance, establish a base and, and make everybody else sigh. And we, they score points by establishing and getting supporters. So that whole idea of like, yeah, you hear how bad the Marquis are? Yeah, I don't like cats either. Yeah, I mean, they don't even clean up their litter. Just, they're terrible. You know, like, kind of, like, you're just seeding that. I just see see my little, my little, my little uh, woodland critters just feeding that kind of stuff. Oh, you heard about those birds? Oh, the eerie. Oh, they're just all, they're just chirp, chirp, chirping violent all the time. It's just that kind of stuff. Like, you're just putting that out in pamphlets and putting that in all the little forest critters' ears, and they join together with you, and... It all, you know, you've seeded the irritation in the in the board, and of course, you know, if, if because you don't have a lot of presence on the board, it can be really easy for the other factions to maybe disregard you a bit more than you should be because oh, they don't look very powerful. There's not very many. Heck, they don't. They only have the one base with like two two warriors on the board. That's not a threat yeah. to me. Well, and yeah. It's also you have to give the Woodland Alliance some tithe when you go in there. You have to give them a card when you go to an area that they're in. Well, you have to appease the so, locals because you've because I've stirred yeah, which, things up, which feeds yeah. their engine. It just feeds their engine right. and makes it worse. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect faction so far that we've explored for Konzi because it's like it's this sneaky little high work worm his way around don't you know pay much attention to him he doesn't no. have to be fighting he just collects things and builds it up yeah. so though at you were a very different faction than that when we played yeah so i was playing one of the expansion factions and they were basically the exiles so when the cats the way i interpreted their backstory was when the cats took over and the cats ruled the the woodland area my faction was the one they kicked out, right? So it was the Badgers, and they were exiled, and so they have all these artifacts left around the forest that they're trying to... So the, you, I earn points by gathering those artifacts and stuff like that. So, it, I mean, I know who gets the most points win, but it's really a race to a points total is kind of how the game works. This was my first time playing it, and I thought it was really kind of a neat game. You know, people say, oh, it sounds confusing. Well, actually, their player boards and their player aids are so good. 
Like it tells you on the back of the board how to set up your faction when the when you're going on the front side. It tells you how to do your like your day to day work. Like when it's your turn, it walks you through. You do these things in Birdsong, then you go to this, and then you can do these things, and and it it really tells you how to do it, which I thought was great because it was my first time. And, and after the first round, I had a really good idea of what the heck I was supposed to be doing. Um, there's definitely some very, in my opinion, there's some good strategy built into this game. It sounds simple. The combat's simple, but there's a lot of strategy for how to play each asymmetric faction, which I thought was really neat. And I mean, it was my first go and I was still within striking distance of like the two leaders who kind of ran away. But um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about this game, and I do find it fascinating that you said you're vagabonds because Suzanne's kind of, in my opinion, a little uh, infamous for liking games that have a little gotcha and, and, and she likes the faction that doesn't do fighting. <laughs> but, well, see, but th- for me, the game, the factions that I have played with this that do some more of the fighting, like the Marquis, especially, and then the Eerie, who uh, Brian, who's not here today, he played the Eerie. Um, there, it's also area control, so it's not right. just fighting, and it's got the area control, which is not my favorite. The Vagabonds, I just slipped in and out and gave people stuff that I needed, and I just kind of played my own game. Right. The bad thing. Um, with how when we played it the other day, and is something I've I've seen happen in almost every game of Root that I've played is that if others aren't doing the things you need them to do, like for me, if others aren't crafting so that I can go and trade for these tools they've crafted, it's very difficult. It could be very difficult to get your mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So you need everyone to kind of be doing a little bit of everything. So all the factions are working together. Mm-hmm. Um, Not my but, fault. Yeah. I crafted a bag and then a sack, and then you went and crafted it on your own. And well, you said you, <laughs> I, you, my sack wasn't good enough for you to steal. I was going to go get your sack. And then uh, I ended up getting another one. So I took the easiest route thinking that, you would craft something else because everyone craft cards. Yeah. Almost everyone gets points when they craft. There is one, is it the Erie? I believe it doesn't. Yeah. So, they get, well, they yeah. get, they get only get a point instead of they get a, the extra points, which. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I will say, uh, Brian played the Erie, which is, which I think was a great, match for him because with that one you're planning everything out and you're building upon what you Mm -hmm. did the last turn is adding to your um your strengths so you're just kind of you know he could you can do all of your pre-planning and figuring out what you're going to do while others are playing with that faction yeah with other factions you have to look at the board state so i don't know matt and konzi what you guys thought about like the amount of downtime you had I didn't think it was that bad because in some cases you're still interacting with the others when they are doing their turn. Like I didn't find myself staring at the phone, you know what I mean? Or something like that. Um, This is definitely high player interaction though, too, because somebody's going to move and then they're going to take you out. I mean, 
I would have been a few points higher, but Brian, and he did the right thing, like took me out of a few key areas and that really slowed me down in a couple instances, but I was able to bounce back. I mean, the game has mechanics built in that you're never like completely out of the game, but what did you think, Ben? Did you have Um, a lot of downtime or? So this is, I mean, we played five, so... Um, and the, so it's worth noting that I, th- I think Suzanne mentioned that the base game only plays four players and you can add up to six players when you add in, start adding in the expansions. So we played with five and I, th- I did feel like I had just played with four that pre, uh, that weekend before playing it with five and I, and four, I thought it was like, there was still downtime, but it got back to you a little bit faster, right? Mm-hmm. With one less player. Downtime was starting to get to be an issue, but I also account that we had three players who hadn't played before and two or one player of the players who had played before playing a brand new faction. And when you throw in all of those new rules and mechanics, everything's obviously going to slow down. So it's a hard, it's hard for me to say that it's too much time between player turns right now, because I think there is... Uh, a real chance that the playtime would come down significantly should this get more and more repeat plays. Right. Which I suspect it will because we have at least one person that shows up to the regular game nights that really likes this game. So, Yeah, and when we played it with him, we had a three-player game, and that that moved along. Yeah, that moved really well. And, you know, so I think also the playtime probably does speed up if some people are playing factions they've played before. Like, mm-hmm. if you find a faction that you really like and works for your play style, my understanding is a lot of times with rude people just keep playing that same faction. Mm-hmm. For myself, I will not probably choose a faction that I want to stick with until I've played all of them. So, and then it'll depend on my mood. So, yeah. I don't know, Matt, would you change and try a different type of faction next time um, or a different uh, focus? I mean, I always like to try different things. I would happily play the same one a second time just because by the time we were done, I had a better idea of, oh, I probably could have done this, this, and this to be slightly more efficient with my turns, right? It's like, if I'd done these two things, I would have been a little more efficient with my time and I would have, but my, I mean, mine was a difficult faction only from the perspective of if I'm at a location and I have an attack card, I must attack you, even if it's to my detriment. So, right. You know, so you yeah. have to kind of plan ahead for that. But I mean, it was still, I don't know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I would happily play the same one again or try something new just because there were a lot of different interesting factions. We'll have to, uh, one of the game days that Justin is here for, we will have to make sure we get it out so he can experience the majesty that is Root. Yep, yep. I haven't gotten to play yet, unfortunately. So looking yeah, forward that's to that's okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> There's not a... too many games for everyone to have played every single game. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. There there are almost we're almost getting to the point where we have too many games for us to play every single game we own. <laughs> well, someone should stop buying games then. But anyway uh, I kinda have. I really don't okay. buy that much anymore. Well, don't look at what's coming in that I may have ordered. Uh, uh, but any, any other final thoughts anyone has about Root? I am Root. 
I, I just thought it was a lot of fun. It was my first time doing it, and I thought it was fun. I would definitely play it again. So, I mean, like I said, and I thought the components were really well done. So, yeah. Yes. I Yes, we didn't mention it. They're like silk screened on the little animals that are each a different color and each a different profile. So it's it's kind of nice that way. And it makes it more difficult for you to put them on their head accidentally. I forget which game it is. I think it might be Everdell that I tend to put the animals on the board, like standing on their head and stuff. But (laughs) anyway, I digress. (laughs) So that game that we were playing was uh, Root by Leader Games. And let's move on to our next game that we've been playing. Yeah, so next up, uh, we have Castles of Burgundy. Specifically, the special edition, the new special edition of Castles of Burgundy. Castles of Burgundy is, uh, the special edition is from Aaliyah and Awakened Realms. It is designed by Stefan Feld. Castles of Burgundy is a classic Euro game that has been well-loved over the over the years. The original version came out in 2011 and has been pretty high up on the Board Game Geek top games Right now it's sitting at number 17, so it is well-considered. One of the problems with it is that the original production quality and components are just not up to modern standards. And so they went all out and made this super nice, super deluxe new edition this year. And it is a pleasure to play in this special edition. I'll talk a little bit about the game and we can go back into how awesome the special edition is. In Castles in Burgundy, you are building a sort of French region in the medieval France by placing tiles onto your onto your player, your landscape player board, and building up your area, competing for for the same tiles as everybody else in the center of a center of the board. Each turn you're gonna roll two dice, and the numbers on those dice basically determine what you can do on your turn. So you might be able to take a tile that matches the number six in the six depot on the play on the main board or you could place a tile that you already have on a on a space on your board that has a six on it so you're always having to kind of figure out the best option for what your dice have rolled you have a player board that's broken up into a bunch of different regions so you're going to be placing out farms you're going to be putting out mines to mine for silver you're going to be putting out city buildings with special abilities every tile you place on your board is going to trigger some special ability um, that lets you do something cool you'll even put castles out under your board which lets you take an extra turn as you're completing these sections you're earning points and kind of racing to complete all the sections of the same color with everybody else to earn some more points Castles of Burgundy is a fantastic game. I've had it for a long time. It's one of my favorites, actually. I'm super happy that they made this new version. It was just one of these games back in the day where production quality wasn't that important. People's standards were a little bit lower maybe back then, but now with all these deluxe special editions, people just expect more from a game, I think. And so, yeah, I know I know you've played Suzanne. Maybe talk about some of the awesome components in this special edition. <laughs> When okay, when Justin says awesome components, he re, like he I don't know what the better word is for it because they really are awesome. They are such high quality, and then the artwork in them is very distinctive. So after you play the game a couple of times, you know which hey, this is the church, and here is and then these are 
the ducks and you know the different animals and everything is just very nicely done if you were a backer for it along the way they gave you opportunities to vote for what the art style was going to be on it so there was a lot of uh, backer input during the campaign which i thought really helped there are nice overlays so when you're putting your hex tiles on your board they don't move around you know exactly where they're going to go I am very notorious for having tiles laid out and then jostling them and then, oh, shoot, where was everything? That doesn't happen. The leather bags that they provide you to put these tiles in and draw from or um, leather-like, I should probably say, because I don't know that they're actually leather. Uh, They did not charge enough if they're actual leather (laughs) for it. But they just, they're great for storing it and those of you who've listened to this show a couple times at least know that I love a great storage organizer or an organizer, game organizer in the box. And this has it. You can get everything in there except for the neoprene mat, which I did back to have the neoprene mat because I was like, shoot, I have everything else. I will just add that on to it. Um, so, yeah, and it's the... Uh, the stitched around the outside of the neoprene mat, which a lot of times they're not stitched and so they can fray. Mm-hmm. Well, this one sh- should not fray unless you go and do something to it. Yeah, it's just amazing just looking at it and playing it. I got the, I think when Conzi and I played it, it was his first time, which I had not realized. And I think he was a little bit not a, um, not expecting too much when he was, you know, looking yeah. at, oh, you take a tile and you you put it down on your board. But there's just so much more in there. So, I don't know, Conzi, what did you really think of Castles of Burgundy? Uh, so, uh, I'm going to say I don't have the experience of having played the older version of the game. So, components... They were nice. I like the tiles. I like the quality of the tiles. I like the the quality of the components. But I, unlike I think maybe the two of you who who have compared and contrasted with the older version of the game, I wasn't blown away. Gameplay was okay. No, we did play just base game. We didn't add any expansions. I thought it was okay. I could see where it was certainly like these mechanisms. 10, 15 years ago combined in a game like this would have been very revolutionary uh, and very intriguing. It was still a very good game. I enjoyed playing it. But it wasn't something that I was like, oh, man, I want to play this like a billion times. So I wasn't floored with it. I wanted, I, I think it's worth playing with a, a greater player count. Uh, maybe it was the two-player experience that was became almost a little too predictable in tile choices and things like that that were happening and or the randomness of the dice. Like I was, I felt more times that I was being, the dice rolls were irritating me and the (laughs) randomness of the dice in what was otherwise a fairly clever kind of Euro game. And I, I almost wonder if maybe, particularly at the start of the round, if there were more players, if that would feel a little less random luck because i can't i like how many yeah. times i felt like i needed to get a certain a certain set of tiles and then i would roll like oh crap i guess I i'm not eat. getting yeah. any i'm not getting anything i want and okay hey look suzanne took all the tiles that i needed so now 
Like, I can't do anything. Yeah. I can't do anything. I can like tell you that. Game, like, our second game, uh, our first game was pretty close. Our second game was just absolutely lopsided. Suzanne took just crushed me. And I don't know if it was the dice or the fact that it took her her first play to remember how to play the game. But, yeah, it was just, like... It wasn't close. It wasn't close, and I didn't. I got really. I almost got frustrated between the dice and not being able to get the tiles that I was hoping I could get, or being able to see the magical combination that I could use to unlock points. Yes, I want to play this game again, but I. I'm also like, unlike I think the two of you, I'm not floored with the game and going, "Wow, this thing was some somehow a great experience." I, I unfortunately, and for me, this is like because this is a very classic traditional game that's been out for years and very highly talked about. I mean, Justin pointed out number seventeen on the hotness on BGG right now, right? Just the rank or the rank yeah uh but then there's the what the castles of mad king ludwig too that special awesome version and then Mm -hmm. i remember playing this playing that one too quite a while ago and like a long time ago um and that one i had played the original and i was like wow that game was great i remember having this great experience playing it and then suzanne and i played it as a two-player with the ridiculousness of the uh, you know, there was just more components and more storage and more of this and that. And it took like, you have to like dig everything out of the awesome organizers and whatever. And it took more time to set it up. The game, what didn't blow? I don't think in that one, in that case, cause that was Suzanne's first play. It didn't blow Suzanne away from a gameplay perspective. And so very similar, like it's, here's a classic game that got, you know, it, it, it almost felt overproduced to, for what the game was providing. Yeah, I will just... say that, uh, you know, a couple of things. I, I will admit that I think that I have particularly some nostalgia for this game and that that sort of fondness that I have from playing it back when it, you know, early when it first came out, when I was first getting into board games even, is strong. And that definitely skews my perspective a little bit on it. And to have a have a version that I feel like is what it should have been is super satisfying to me. Like, just to, again, to call it these comparison, you know, the original game has very thin little cardboard tiles, thinner than you'd even expect for a normal board game. And then you go and play this deluxe version with the acrylic tile add-ons, which are like these quarter-inch thick, you know, glossy, great-feeling, thick old tiles. And so for me, it's like sort of, it actually like made the nostalgia work because it's like the game as it should have been. I'll also say at a higher player count, stuff just gets more competitive. Like the tiles in the in the center that you're going for, they just disappear even faster with more players because everybody's going trying to get the same stuff in terms of randomness. I think, you know, it's good not to undervalue those little workers that get you to modify your dice values up and down. But then, you know, obviously you're stuck with the randomness to some degree. And every time I've played it, I think I've had a, a, a situation where I'm like, well, I'm just stuck and I can't do anything that I want to do. And I think that's partly the game, you know, fair points there for sure. Yeah. I think a part of it, when you're in a two player game, a lot, you see a lot fewer uh, tiles Mm -hmm. out there. When you are playing a three or four player, it's more likely that you're going to see a, a wider variety of tiles and maybe even multiples of some tiles. And there are some monasteries 
that don't give you in-game scoring, but get you great. If you get them early, oh, there's some great benefits. Good abilities out there. Yeah. And, yeah. If you, and if you know what to look for, like. Yeah. And yeah. So once you start learning that, then you want to, you can develop a strategy for playing and mitigate some of this. Oh my gosh. Everyone's taking the obvious choices that I need to fill in my spaces. When we played it, when Konzi and I played it here, we just, I did not start him out on the beginner boards because I thought he had played this game before. I just, <laughs> we just grabbed gotcha. random boards. I said, pick a side. And not having played it before, you don't always know, well, shoot, I don't, maybe I don't want one that's got all of the buildings concentrated because I can only have one of each type yeah. and stuff. So, <laughs> sure. so, so some of, I will take the blame for some of how his first couple games went. But yeah, it's I don't know. There's there's just something about it, like where you are competing for these and trying to build this kingdom that I really enjoy. No, I I see that, and I can see like, hey, there's a satisfactory thing that you've built in front of you when you're done. Uh, and I and I get the nostalgia thing. I think about Agricola or Agricola or whatever, and have very similar feelings to that game. Right, that's kind of that that original game, but I. Also, don't feel like to me. I think there's something that's enchanting about my copy that I still have—an old enough copy that has the square cubes, the <laughs> yeah. crappy components. Like that's part of the nostalgia of playing that game. And so I know there have been other versions of Agricola that have come out uh, over the years, or other, you know, basically the same game, but you just, you know, revised or whatever, just re, you know, or updated. With, with better whatever things and then there's what Agri agricola 15 which is the big box version of it yeah i never felt obligated to go acquire or get an upgraded version of it because there was that nostalgia to the original and i almost wonder if we would have just bought a used copy of castles of burgundy from noble knight and dealt with the thin tiles if <laughs> if my experience would have been better because i wouldn't have been judging it against this game that had that was clearly on the upper end of being of production quality, right? So for a game that's like, okay, I got all this production quality and I didn't feel very satisfied from the gameplay. It didn't feel like, hey, we spent a lot of money on this game that I didn't feel like it was that good and I feel like it's way it was way overhyped for what I got out of it for a game. And you don't even know how much we spent on that game. Oh, I'm sure it was stupid amounts of money. But I want to get no. it back to the, I do want to get it back to the table. I mean, it's not Cthulhu Wars money. Let's let's not let's not kid ourselves. Well, and we're going to put some expansions, which I don't know that there are the expansions for the original I game. I believe there are none. None. Uh, okay, so then yeah. all these expansions are for this new version. Plus at least one Prior to this new version going to crowdfunding, when I was looking for the original to get, it was a used copy of it was not much cheaper than what I spent. Oh wow! On this special edition with everything in it. Oh. So I'm just gonna say I'm like that original one paying a hundred to 150 bucks for it with the thin cardboard. I think I don't know. That would have been really disappointing. I will admit. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't but know, now but it's I... probably 
25% of the price because the new version's out. Well, then we can go and get you the the old one now so you can compare the two. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but uh, So that was Castles of Burgundy Special Edition. Check out wiscodice.com for links to the games we discussed. While you're at it, don't forget to leave a review of this podcast wherever you download podcasts. Next, let's roll into the news. So, hey, folks, we're going to be at a bunch of conventions yet, still in 2023, and we're actually starting to announce some of our 2024 presents for conventions. So we would love to meet up with you and possibly even get a chance to play a game with you at any of these upcoming shows or conventions. Hopefully we'll see you there. So we're going to start with Game Hole Con. That's going to be October 19th through 22nd, 2023. That's going to be here in the great mecca that is Madison, Wisconsin at the Alliant Exhibition Center. All right, you can go to GameholeCon.com for more information about that one. Brian and I, uh, Brian, long lost, hasn't been on the show forever. Uh, Brian uh, and myself will be at the Renegade Wargaming Convention playing the Batman miniature game for our, uh, I think, both Friday and Saturday events. Uh, That is November 17th through 19th. Go to renegadewargaming.com to find out more information and register. Final convention we have on the list. This is a new one. The Midwinter Gaming Convention. That will be January 11th through 16th, 2024. Uh, So this is our first 2024 con announcement. I'm pretty excited about that. So you can hop over to Tabletop Events. And look for Midwinter Gaming Convention 2024. Of course, you can find links to all of these cons in the show notes for this episode. In non-convention-related news, did you guys know that Heat is now available on Board Game Arena? Heat, the the racing game, the big hit game from Days of Wonder. Yeah. Woohoo! It's actually, I've got a few games of it going right now. It's, it's, uh... Seems to be pretty good implementation. Yeah, it's uh hopefully I can continue my winning ways in heat on board no. game arena. No. So, so here's another one that I wanted to kind of find out what you guys thought about it, but Magic the Gathering is seeing yet another uh, expansion that's gonna explain uh it explore the dinosaur park uh wonders that is the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchises. <laughs> What do you guys think of yet another IP coming to Magic the Gathering? Well, I'll say that if there's a way that I can get Jeff Goldblum on a Magic card, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you, and you can, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. so, so to date myself just a little bit, um, when I was in college, I believe Alpha, well, it might have been high school when Alpha came out. But beta was out in when I was in college and the first, like I'll call it general release of magic. I feel like it's gotten a little silly at this point. Sorry. I just kind of gave up caring at some point, not because of anything other than, oh my God, how do you keep up? I mean, and I get that's how they make money, but uh, like it's okay. Why Jurassic Park? How is that magic? The gathering? (laughs) I mean, oh, I, they I, have like Harry Potter and well, see, see, I get like, Harry K, Potter or, or I get yeah. like I got the like uh, Lord, Lord of the Rings. Of the Rings. Lord of the Rings yeah, has the magic, right? And it's in that kind of realm. 
but now like all these other like weird ips i just like okay it's following the rules of magic it's following the same basic premise but i'm like ah whatever i mean i i kind of gave up caring but i know it's super popular still i i'm not downplaying that a lot of people love spending money on magic so i mean i don't want to downplay that i just personally feel like it's gotten a little silly with like what are they up to like three four maybe like a dozen a year like it feels That's like they lot, have it seems like yeah. they have like new ones out every other month it feels like so and still yeah. the ridiculous amount of money spent on magic cards every year is pretty crazy it is I get it. I get it at some level, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a little peculiar to have Jurassic Park come in from an IP perspective into a what is really kind of a fantasy type game. But then I also said the same thing about 40K and some of the other IPs they've brought into it. It is what it is. We'll have to see where the success is in Magic the Gathering in the upcoming years. To me, I think they're overproducing and putting out too much stuff too rapidly. That's just yeah. kind of my personal take on it. Moving along then in the news, wanted to talk about Cool Stuff Inc. Cool Stuff Inc. used to be just just a few years ago, pre-pandemic, used to be like the place to order discount board games, discount other gaming products. And it looks like they are officially moving out of completely moving out of the board game and RPG business. Just going to be exclusive buy, sell, trade cards. Hmm. What do you guys think of that? Considering the projections for the board game industry right now and where it's supposed to be in the next few years, like we're we're supposed to be booming here. Why are they getting out? Yeah, that's that's surprising, honestly. Well, it, you know, I think the the problem not understanding their back-end logistics side of it. I mean, the, the their personal internal costs, I mean, as much as board gaming is, is booming, their costs for doing things like storage, shipping, like all that stuff, it, it may be that their margins just aren't there. Like cards might be something that they can store, mass quantities in a smaller area, but board games just take up a lot of space. And if, like you said, used to be the place to go for used ones, if those things are just sitting in the warehouse, that's warehouse space they're paying for. Uh, it's so that new, could new games. You bought oh, new, so games just new games from them, not at used. a discount. Like, okay. Noble Knight has always yeah. been like the no, the used yeah. store. Well, but even then, right? So if they're having to maintain a large inventory and it's taking up a lot of space, it, it might be cost prohibitive for them to the point where their margins just aren't there. Whereas, you know, whatever, Magic Cards, if they could be like, I ship them as quick as I get them, I mean, they can maintain a much smaller footprint and lower their overhead costs. So it could be as simple as that, that like their backend overhead costs that are just making it inefficient for them to manage that inventory. So, I mean, the other thing too, honestly, there are quite a number of other discount board game retailers online nowadays, and maybe the competition is just kind of squeezing them out too. I mean, uh, it's you know a lot of companies undercut them on there like uh so they you know cool stuff inc would always have uh free shipping over for orders over like a hundred dollars but there's companies now that like uh game nerds where you can get free shipping for 75 dollars. you know so <laughs> how many people are getting pulled over by offers like that 
could be some of that too, you know. Uh, all I gotta say is thank goodness for our Canadian neighbors with Board Game Bliss because really that's now become my replacement place to shop for if I'm gonna shop for board games online. Of course, I think we all here at Whiskadias would tell you to shop at your friendly local gaming store. Yep. Uh, and for us here in Madison, Wisconsin, that could be uh, Noble Knight Games. That could be Misty Mountain Games. That could be I'm Bored. That could be Pegasus. That board game cafe that I can't remember the name of it. There's There are a plethora oh, yeah. of ga- places where you can go buy your board games. I'm going to say, yes, I do still buy games from places like Board Game Bliss, but support your local game stores. Make sure that they... You know, they have overhead that these places don't have to pay for, so they can't afford to discount you nearly as much. But if you don't support them, then they won't be there when you want to go play a game mm-hmm. or find other people to go play against. That gets us to our next line in the news. Yep. So something that was just, or I just got notification of it, was that Capstone Games announced that they have a partnership with Cranio Creations. And those of you who may not know who Cranio Creations is off the top of your head, they are an Italian game publisher, but they have done some very popular games recently, such as Barrage, Lorenzo, Il Magnifico, Newton, and Golem. If you've been playing any of those games, those were initially published from Cranio Creations, and now they and Capstone are joining forces and it's going to be exciting to see what that brings to us and for games from both of those publishers. I think I've, pl- uh, well, I've played two of them. I played Lorenzo and I've played Gollum. And actually, no, I have not played Gollum. Uh, I've only played one of them, Lorenzo. Uh, but I've, I've had opportunities to play Gollum and Barrage is in our review list. So Newton's the one I don't think I've ever heard of before from him. I don't know. All four of those are games that I would like to play, like a physical copy of. I think I've maybe played Lorenzo once. Yeah, we own that. Game. We own it. Then I've probably played it. Um, Barrage, I've only played online. So they're all games I am very interested in. And it'd be nice if it makes it a little easier to get a hold of some of those games. Yeah, Capstones, you know, if you have if you don't know who Capstone games are, they're the publisher behind currently one of the biggest games in the industry right now as of last year and that is Ark Nova. So, if you're familiar with the Zoo game, uh that's who this publisher is and well, they did no problem rapidly meeting the market demand of Ark Nova. You did not have to wait long if you couldn't get a copy in the initial printing of that game. They they had the powerhouse and the distribution to be able to get new copies printed and out there relatively rapidly. For a board game company, that is. Usually, usually you got to wait six, nine months, even a year before you'll ever see a reprint, and they had them out in like three months. That's probably really exciting news, and I'm sure that's probably the biggest reason Cranio wanted to partner with them, because there's some pretty good popular titles here. Yeah. All right, Justin, you got any news for us? Well, if you're looking for news on what's going on in the world of crowdfunding, I'm going to tell you to go over to wiscodice.com every Monday and catch our Kickstart Monday article where we feature two different crowdfunding projects from across the world of crowdfunding, whether that's Kickstarter, uh, GameFound, Indiegogo. Every week we publish a new article uh, with something that's interesting in the crowdfunding world. So 
again, go to wiscodice.com to check that out. And if you're a publisher out here, out there listening to this, and you th- and you have a game that's coming to crowdfunding, and you would like to be featured on Kickstart Monday, you can send us an email at hosts at whiskodice.com and let us know about that game, and we will see about featuring it. But with that, we'll go ahead and take a break here, and when we come back, we'll get into our main topic. Hey folks, this is the Conesy of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin, where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick-and-mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. So we are getting into that spooky time of year and we always like to talk about what games we enjoy playing that kind of fit the season and fit this spooky Halloween-y time in the U.S. So what we have for you today are some games that we think are spooktacular. And what makes a spooktacular game, you might wonder? For me, it is something that is immersive, gets you some feeling of suspense while you're playing it. Uh, yes, the theme, having a theme come through that really also pulls you in and is giving you kind of some goosebumps, keeps you on the edge of your seat. For me, also having multiple players there that if would you can just feel the energy of everyone focusing on a goal that you are trying to achieve and a goal that's other than points. Like you need to investigate a building and find what's behind different doors or try and find the lost member of your party or something like that. And then for me, also a spectacular game is going to have some sort of conflict in it, whether it's players conflicting against each other and you don't know what the other one else is doing and what their goals are, or um, what, you know, a conflict against nature. So something else that is just adds to that heightened amount of spookiness and suspensefulness. But that's my definition of a spectacular game. What do the rest of you think of a spectacular game is? I, I think for me, the thing is just there are some games in my mind that just kind of align with this time of year. You know, um, I do agree that some some it's always fun to play a suspenseful one that's just kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat or, um, you know, and like you said, the one thing that is interesting about a lot of the games that are sort of themed this way is in most cases you are working together. You know what I mean? It's it's not always a. I, he who gets the most points or or she get you know gets the most points wins it's a we all want to just get out and survive um which is fun but i also sometimes feel like especially in like this season of halloween sometimes having something light and fun that's just sort of fits that ghosts and goblins and and whatever can be can be a lot of a good time too so for me it's pretty simple number one it's got to be spooky Number two, you should be able to have a spectacular time playing it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it simple. 
So yeah. what spooks you though with a game? Are there particular themes that spook you more than others? I mean, uh, I think you guys have kind of said like the more immersive you can get, the better. So games that really go beyond to put you in an environment and set up a scene that you can visualize and picture yourself in, I think really, you know, tickle my spooky bone. Um, <laughs> there's definitely some stuff on my list that fits this category of having external things like music and ambiance to help set that that tone as well. So the immersion is is definitely a big part of it. Yeah. So so do you pay, play them in the dark by candlelight only? Uh, you know, if it if it were possible to play a board game with just candlelight, I'd probably try it. But I don't know. I've never tried. Yeah, you need you do about, need some light to play board. You games. don't you don't want to get wax on it, man. No. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <That> too. <laughs> it's just not going to be any candles near our table. Thank you, unless they're completely <laughs> electric. electronic yeah, electric candles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we can do that. How about you, Conzi? Too much money on that table to. Go, oops, we tipped over the candle. <laughs> okay. What what makes us what makes a spectacular game for you, Conzi? So I think when you talk about spectacular games, for me, these are games that get the tension, that get the the horror aspects of the, the creepiness. Either they're going to do something in the game that's going to effectively creep you out, or it's going to, I think, getting somebody to be horror, you know, feel like a true sense of horror, like a jump scare or something, that's not something a board game is ever going to really convey. But if it can get that same kind of feeling of tension up uh, in the game uh, while you're playing the game, that is really, for me, a key in spectacular games. I. I definitely see that there's a lot of the, you could have uh you could think about you know hey it's a spooky good time or it's you know you know a little more on the fun side for but for me uh particularly this time of the year I'm a little darker a little more hardcore a little more <laughs> I want I want that really deep horror type feel out of the out of it I want to recapture that horror movie because you know it's you know that's the other thing with this time of year it's horror movie marathon time of the year so if I can yeah. get that you know that kind of feel in a in a in my spectacular games that's what I'm looking for. So. so you want some horror in your spectacular games and not just the spookiness. Yes, I want to be on the edge of my seat the whole time. I want everybody to like when that when that dice roll gets chucked everybody's on their seat for hoping for success and everybody goes groans groans when it's you know the big bad devours somebody uh because the, that was the carrying that one yeah. thing we needed yep <laughs> or or the one versus many kind of aspect where you don't know exactly where dracula is on the board or something like that like those right you know those games where all of a sudden it's like gotcha uh, that's kind of the that's kind of what I'm looking for in my spectacular games. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so with that, I think we all know, or at least maybe have an idea, what a spectacular game is to each of us. But Justin and Matt, why don't you tell us what your top spectacular games are? And Suzanne and I will hop over to YouTube 
and tell you what our top fives are there. So with that, why don't you guys get this kicked off? Yeah, I'll kick it off. My number five spectacular game is Betrayal Legacy. I believe it's Betrayal at House on the Hill is the original game. Is a sort of mansion crawl game where a number of players are investigating a scary mansion and creepy things are going on. Maybe there's ghosts or zombies or different things. And they're exploring rooms and the rooms might shift around. Um, and eventually something is triggered called the haunt. And that's when stuff starts to go bad and people can start dying. And you have to do whatever it is you need to do to defeat the monsters or the ghost, um, whatever the game goal is for that for that particular game. Um, and so this is a Betrayal Legacy is a is obviously a legacy version of Betrayal with an entire storyline, connected storyline for all of this, all the scenarios that you play through. You play as essentially a family and their sort of lineage throughout time. So you start way back in like the, I don't know, 17, 1800s. And your first character is sort of like the first major member of the family that gets drawn to this to this mansion. All the, all, all the missions take place at the same mansion that kind of changes over time as, as time progresses. So you each session you're you're playing like the descendant of the previous character that you played and you get to come up with a new name every time. And so each each session is a totally new scenario. They add rules during the game. And again, it follows the same basic structure as betrayal, but again, all the storylines are kind of connected in the back end. The first part of the game, you are just exploring the mansion. You might be looking for weapons or artifacts to help you out later on. Um, you may just be exploring rooms to figure out like where things are in the mansion that you need to find and you'll have spooky events occur like you know some black hand might grab you out of the darkness and then it just kind of disappears as a figment of your imagination where you see some strange figure in a mirror and as these sort of different spooky events occur you'll build up towards the haunt and the haunt is again where the monster of the game reveals themselves and then you're in a one versus many fight to both attempt to accomplish what your goal for the game is. So once the haunt is triggered, there's going to be one player who basically becomes the monster. And they're going to have a whole set of goals that they need to accomplish to win the game themselves. And then the other players will also have their own set of goals. So, you know, it might be something as simple as the one player is just like a big demon monster and somehow the rest of the players have to kill him. And the, the monster's goal is just to, you know, kill enough of the players to take them out or something like that. As a legacy campaign, I think it, it, is, it works really, really, really well. It's, it's scary. The writing is good. The atmosphere is always, always scary. And I think there's the, the, even when your character dies, you can sort of write a little epitaph of like how they died, like, the, you know, killed by the demon or whatever. Um, which is fun. So even when you lose, you're still having fun. You get to pass on, you know, to the next generation. Can't say much more about it. It's just a really cool legacy game. I'd recommend it. Find a good group of people, play it all the way through. It's good. Cool. What's what's yours, Matt? My number five is actually Whirling Witchcraft by AEG Games. It's mm. uh, it's just a fun, quick, easy game. 
You basically play witches. Your goal is to basically cast spells using ingredients that you have and use those ingredients to pass them on to the next person and purposely try to overflow their cauldron. Uh, the first person who wins is basically the person who overflows the next person's ingredients because they can only store so much. Uh, it's a super quick game. You can play it in probably 10 to 15 minutes max. Just a really fun, light game that's, like I said, very thematic. Your witches, it's the Halloween time. Not spooky at all. <laughs> so definitely a quick, easy one, especially if you're in something deep like Betrayal and you need a quick break, this is something you could pull up on a sideboard. Or, you know, if you're waiting for everybody to show up, pull it out play a few games while you're waiting for those last couple people to show up for your legacy game. So uh, like I said, that's a uh, whirling witchcraft by AEG games. Awesome. I do like some whirling witchcraft. All right. Well, I'll jump into my number four. Number four for me is pandemic reign of Cthulhu. There's a lot of versions of pandemic out there, and this is probably the only spooky one unless you consider, you know, diseases in Spain spooky. Pandemic plays out like a fairly normal game of Pandemic, but instead of fighting off disease, you're fighting off cultists who are trying to, you know, summon the elder gods into the world. And you're also occasionally fighting eldritch monstrosities as you work together to take out cultists and eventually try to close the gate for the the evil Cthulhu monsters to come into the world. It's just one of my, my favorite versions of Pandemic. It's really thematic. Art's really cool. If you haven't played this version of Pandemic, I, I would recommend it, especially in Halloween time. Yeah, I will say, I I do like that Pandemic. It, it's got such a different feel than the standard Pandemic, the Cthulhu one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well done. Cool. Nice. My number four is actually Night Cage by Smirk and Dagger Games. So uh, Night Cage is a great... We, we played it as a group last year uh, around this time, and it was just a really fun game. You're just a bunch of people stuck in prison, and it's dark. It's a dungeon, and your whole goal is to find what you need to survive and get out. Very tense, very on, like on edge the whole time. You know, the floor falls out periodically, and you're losing. You're trying to like find these things to unlock the way out and you know you've got people moving around but every time you drop off of an area and you move out of an area if those tiles are dark they drop off the board and suddenly whatever was there you've lost you know so i mean there's a lot of like tense how do we plan our moves how do we work together to keep something lit up that we need and then how do we get around this monster instead of facing it because you don't really have weapons you're literally just like naked in the dungeon trying to find your way out so gather the pieces that you need and get everybody to the gate so that you can escape the night cage very thematic the time we pl- the times we played it it was always tense up until the moment we either lost or won and you know i I remember one time i think we played it and we were right there except one person needed like one more tile and they just didn't have the like we'd spent one too many tiles earlier and they couldn't connect into us and it was (laughs) just like you know just just a great fun thematic suspenseful game to play so simple but 
effective in its delivery. Yep. So just worth pointing out that we reviewed this episode. Uh, again, we got, like Matt pointed out, we got together and played it. And we reviewed this game back in episode 98. So if you're interested in hearing about more about the Night Cage, it's worth checking that out. And this one might be on some other people's lists. Not saying who's. Well, then moving on to number three. Uh, my number three spooktacular game is Nemesis. If you haven't heard of it, Nemesis is basically Alien, the board game. You are playing a character who just woke up out of a cryostasis hibernation on some spaceship that is stalled in the middle of space, and there's dead people around and, you know, monsters everywhere. You are ideally working together to get the ship back up and running and figure out if you're traveling to the right location, if you, you know, have the right coordinates put in to go to Earth or wherever your target goal um, location is. But eventually, th- uh, during the game, you'll switch to potentially having a private goal, which might not be so cooperative with the rest of the players. So there's a little bit of that hidden trader mechanic. But in this case, kind of everybody can become a trader, really, if they pick their sort of selfish goal instead of their cooperative goal. Um, And of course, there are alien monsters throughout the ship that will just destroy you. From the little crawly ones to giant queens, they'll just appear out of nowhere. And ability to fight them is pretty limited. You have limited weapons, limited ammo. Um, And so it really just creates a tense, claustrophobic atmosphere that perfectly emulates a movie like Alien or Aliens. Really, really well done. Thematically, your characters all have different abilities and sort of specialties. So it's fun to kind of try different classes out and see how it plays out with different different characters. And I think it is a, a very good game for getting into a bit of a role playing as you're as you're playing along in the game. It's generally you're moving around the ship and map and maybe getting into a little bit of combat, taking, you know, some actions to repair the ship. But it's a fun one to build a story out of, too. I think it's a good sort of, you know, story making kind of game. That's, game uh, does such a nemesis. good job. Yeah, this game by itself does such a good job of telling a story, no matter how badly or how good it goes for the players. Yeah, yeah, and it's tense. And I love the mechanic. I love games that have this mechanic where you put all of the players on a. I don't know if I can trust the other players at the table, but we're yeah. all working towards kind of the same goal, right? That's the that's. That sets up us that tension that really gets me excited. And of course, the yeah. first Alien movie in particular, you could say that's definitely a horror movie set mm-hmm. in a sci-fi setting. And that's mm-hmm. yeah, this that really comes through. I feel I feel kind of horrified every time one of those big aliens comes on the board. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun though. I think the last time I played this, we died pretty quick. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I think. We we exploded in like an hour, I think, or less. It was it was very very quick, and uh, uh, I won't say painless death, but yeah. I I do like this game because you're like tiptoeing, like and yep. to mm, me, yeah. I'm just very nervous, even just making my moves when I'm trying to walk quietly yeah. through the corridors, and then you flip open a room, and you're like, oh my gosh, oh, what's crap. here? <laughs> or roll, shoot, there's noise, what's gonna happen now? Oh my gosh, am I gonna die? Yeah. 
They do a really so good job. With I the get very tense. And my uh, heart rate definitely increases with this game. Yeah. I love the last time I played this game. I said to the group, okay, one of the keys to staying alive is you pair up. <laughs> so everybody pair up. And the first thing we did was split up. So everybody was going in their own directions. Well, yeah. of course. Just like in a movie. <laughs> yep. Everybody stick together. Everybody goes their own way. Awesome. Good job, guys. So my number three on this was is a game called Last Night on Earth by Flying Frog Productions. It is a zombie themed game, and and frankly, in the in the world and genre of horror, I am just not a fan of zombies. Uh, it's never been my gig, but this board game, for whatever reason, just like tickles my fancy. So it is considered like the Last Night on Earth. Uh, you know, the zombie apocalypse has come, and the game comes with a ton of different scenarios and board tiles, and you basically are playing as uh, the standard movie trope type people. There's the reverend and the, you know, the drifter and the, you know, the the cheerleader and the, hmm. you know, the jock and all that. And I, I mean, you can pick your character or you can play it, leave it up to random chance, but. You know, you go into the scenario with a group of people and you're you're playing against the board. The zombies have some set movement and the goal is really to get out. You'll know what the goal of the scenario is when the scenario starts, but the reality is you don't know where anything is. You've got to go searching building to building, hopefully finding weapons or in some cases like one of the scenarios was a really cool tense like um defend this building for so many turns until dawn comes up so you got to keep the zombies out and like so you're like somebody may have to run to a nearby building and hopefully find a weapon that you can use to fight back the zombies so always tense always just kind of fun um you know so uh, it was hard to find for a while but i think they've started republishing it but um you know it was just a, a lot of fun. I've every time I've played it, just to you know, for those people who like a good zombie theme, there you go. Well, for number two, I have the game Mysterium. So this is just a slightly spooky game, but I think personally, it's a spectacular game. So more on the spectacular side. But in Mysterium, you are most of the time playing as a psychic who is communing with a ghost to try to solve their murder. A cooperative game where all of the psychics are working together to try to solve the murder of the ghost, and one player who's playing the ghost is forbidden from talking, and the only thing that they can do to communicate to the players to help them solve the murder is by passing them these large tarot-sized art cards that have these surreal scenes depicted on them. To get them to solve the murder, they pass the players these cards, and then Basically, there's there's three different levels of things that the players need to solve. So first, they need to figure out who the suspect of the murder is, like who might the murderer be. So there's character cards that have, uh, again, a bunch of sort of art all over them. And the ghost is trying to get you to get a certain, um, pick a certain card. So they're trying to make connections between their crazy art on their cards and the art that's on the cards on the board that the players get to look at. So you try to solve for who the suspect of the crime, then you're going to see a bunch of cards that depict different rooms. So where was the murder committed? And then the last stage is to try to figure out the murder weapon. Limited communication thing with the ghost is really, really cool. I've seen games of this go really, really right, where the ghost 
you know, is totally connecting with the players, passing them cards that make sense, and they're making these connections immediately. And I've seen uh, times where the ghosts just, they can't, they cannot communicate what they're trying to get across. They cannot get the players to guess the right stuff. So I think there's a little bit of attention in the game too there if if things aren't going the right way because you're fighting the clock to try to solve this murder and get get your your uh each of your cards figured out individually and then at the end of it sort of solve the murder very lightly spooky theme but i think it's just always a fun game to play yeah this is one of my favorite con games to run because there's and i've said this i think before there is this aspect to the game that you get a bunch of random strangers together to play mysterium you know you explain the game and you hand that first clue card that first that first vision card to the first player and you kind of i always like hey put it down in front of you so everybody else can see it and, and whatnot because this is a cooperative game and the rest of you can talk about what what you think that card's related to and all of a sudden, about the third or fourth card you hand out, there is like this intense cooperative conversation about, well, I think it's this one. I think, I think, I think you're this. This is your murderer. Or this, you know, this is the person that that card's related to, or those cards are related to. That that guesses. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is a, a very good icebreaker kind of game that I feel like people who have played at my table running Mysterium have went on to other, ta- you know, go on throughout the con and maybe have made some new friends because of the way it all brings, it brings this, always brings this group of like people that don't know each other together and a nice, uh, getting them, getting them talking and, and communicating, you know, versus, uh, a lot of other games that I've run at cons where the whole table goes pretty quiet as the, yeah. the intensity and trying to figure out the next, the next best move for themselves in this crunchy Euro. Uh, is going to be. Yeah. yeah, I think some of that also with Mysterium goes back to the ghost and how well they are playing that their role too. Oh sure, blame the ghost. <laughs> no, but that, that it's the crappy the cards. Or just, just and I mean not even that part. Just are they being quiet? Are they acting a little mysterious? Are they ah. giving ones that really are like immerse like are they listening to what the players are saying and then picking cards to like go along with them that could mess with them or whatever just they're they set the mood and the tone for the game so you can really get into it based on how the ghost is interacting with you i mean i'd be a lot more spooked at home if whatever ghosts we have here were like over here and kind of like pushing me and guiding me toward to do different things in the house so versus them just sitting in the walls and watching me that's not a that's just a boring ghost i do get that yeah i do that when i'm running it as a con game i will as i'm doing the reveals i will blue you are so true unfortunately you are correct (laughs) <laughs> and, they, and they and that helps buy into that gives a little bit of extra tension and then they they're like they're picking up they they start picking you'll watch people start picking up their pieces thinking I'm going to say they're wrong or yeah buys into that whole kind of getting that tension up a little bit at the table so yeah no I 
Yep, that's that's great. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Mysterium is clearly one of our favorite games. Yep. So my number two is Mansions of Madness, specifically the second edition of Mansions of Madness. Anybody who's played the original knows, I mean, it's it's a very big tile layer and there's so much to set up. Uh, that that aspect of it doesn't necessarily change with the second edition. But one of the things they really did that's really, really cool with the second edition of this game, for anybody who doesn't know, the game is basically set in a mansion and you have scenarios and the goal is to complete the scenario and basically figure out what Cthulhu-based mythos thing is going on something bad is happening either in uh, you know the mansion or sometimes there there's some scenarios that happened on like docks and other things but the really cool thing that happened in the second edition is they added a app that it, you can you can have it on your phone you can have it on your uh tablet uh that has uh i believe it's fully voiced uh, like reading through sections of the scenario and handles the setup beautifully. So instead of like having to flip open a book and be like, oh, what do I need to do? Like you basically say, I'm playing this scenario and it'll go great. How many players? And it'll start leading you through and you tell them which players. And then it basically goes, okay, you need these tiles. This is what you see to start, you know? And then it'll be like, okay, great. You open the door. And then there are interactive aspects. It'll tell you what you can click on, what's in the room, where you can move. You know, you go to the door, the door is locked. And so it's it, it adds a totally unique thing that like didn't happen in the original Mansions of Madness because I did have an opportunity to play it once without it. And I did not feel very immersed in the game, but the app added something I felt in the second edition of this game that really took Mansions of Madness to a new level. Um, it's still a game I'd like to play all the way through. There's a ton of scenarios and there are like a ton of expansions for this game too. Um, but like just a great spooky themed, um, you never know when that clock is really going to start ticking and you are like, you're unlimited time from the, second you step in the door but you don't know when it's going to go from zero to a hundred um you know because you're you know very similar to betrayal on house on the hill you're searching this mansion you're trying to find tools you're trying to figure out what the hell is going on because you don't know you know how to stop the big bad thing that's coming and maybe if you're really lucky you just randomly picked up all the right stuff and you just have to run to the gate you know the the final place and deal with this thing but odds are when that clock starts, you know, click, clicking fast, you're still missing something that you need. And you're frantically running through the mansion, kicking open doors, trying to find that one thing and going, oh, crap, there's a really big monster here now. So I, that game is just always tense, always fun. Uh, there's just some great scenarios and things that happen during that game. So. Mansions of Madness. So here's another one. We reviewed this game back in episode 85 of the podcast. So you can go check it, check out that review of the game and find out what our uh, full thoughts were. Uh, this is a game that I think uh, I started to paint. And, well, that means it'll be a while before we play it again. <laughs> 
I think what did you say, Suzanne? We might we might get it on the table by like twenty twenty eight or something is what I think you joke. Yeah. Unfortunately it's gonna be probably another five years before I get to play it again. Unless I like Sorry. sneak it out. I think there's a solo version of it. Yeah, you like can just play it solo. And I I will add like one of the things for me that really makes this game immersive is that app that it's app driven and this the sound effects that come with it too. Oh. So yep. that just that just adds to it. This is one you could almost turn the lights down and play mm-hmm. with very little, you know, just have your phone flashlight to read the cards. So Yeah. The light of the big screen TV. <laughs> no, it's off. It's running the app. Oh. I guess, yes. Well, I might as well jump to my number one, because guess what? It's Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can say any more than, than has been said. It's fantastically thematic. It's spooky. It's disturbing. If you really get into reading through the descriptions of what's going on in the app, like there's some d- disturbing imagery and, and really pretty dark stuff sometimes so for a horror aspect it's really really good i particularly like the kind of cthulhu mythos eldritch things unknowable things and like just masses of tentacles and creepy things that you can't explain or understand so that theme is really really strong as suzanne said the app the music the sound effects the ambiance yeah sells it so well i think and as matt mentioned it is always tense but at the same time, it's a game where you want to explore. Like you have yeah. this mansion and all these rooms and you're like, what's over here? You can look at everything. I can go in the app and go and just look at a painting on the wall and it might mean nothing. It might just be some lore or some tiny little hint at what's coming. But, you know, there's always just little corners for you to explore and secrets to find. And so you kind of have to balance that desire to explore and like check things out with guess what? Like you're going to run out of time and things are going to get bad. You may still be having to explore while you're being chased by horrible flying worm monsters or, you know, some cultists or whatever it is. Always, always tense. There's not, for me, there's not a better game that captures like spooky Halloween theme. You know, this is the one. So sticking with Fantasy Flight games, and these guys do produce a lot of Cthulhu Mythos games, my number one was Eldritch Horror by Fantasy Flight games. Eldritch Horror is basically uh, combines a bunch of aspects that I love. It is a globe-trotting exploration game where um, instead of being in a mansion, you know something bad is going on in the world. Gates are appearing bad things are coming. You don't know what the big bad thing is. And you're just trying to jump all over the globe, trying to figure out what the hell is coming so that you can stop the apocalypse. So um, it's always a tense game. I played it a handful of times and it's just, I, I love it for that kind of time period and thematic 
I need to move. I need to, you know, like trying to figure out your action economy and, and getting to the right place at the right time. And, and, you know, trying to make sure that you can stop the big bad thing. And when do we go together? Because we know that there's a big bad, like there's a bunch of cultists in this location. I need some help. Or do I need that person off running some other errand? And, you know, so a great multiplayer, a lot of fun. Um, it adds that kind of tension, like, like Ben said, sometimes you're like rolling the dice, praying to God, you know, that you've got the right piece of equipment or the right dice roll. And you're like, so everybody cheers when it, when it goes well, or then you all groan and go, Oh no, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, I've never had the game play out where it wasn't tense at the end and just a lot of fun win or lose. Uh, I don't, I mean, I think it's one of those games that the more you play it, the more likely you are to win, but you know, just a great, fun cthulhu mythos game so yeah there was a big time when this was the game like if like when it came out it was like well i could play arkham horror which was i think second edition then or yeah, i could play this and this was the not the card game there was the well, actual arkham, arkham horror. horror the board game oh okay yeah like the second edition of it like the card game didn't come out until after this was well published yeah. And then Eldritch Horror came out, and everybody wanted to play Eldritch Horror and not the original Arkham Horror second edition board. Uh, I think it was second edition of the board game. Mm-hmm. But both of them shared a lot of genetics mechanically, just that Eldritch Horror did it better. Yeah. It was kind of like version 2.5 of the Arkham Horror game. So, yeah, it's no surprise that it made, on, it made it on this list. Because that was also a pretty fun game, too, back in the day. Yeah. I haven't gotten a chance to play this one. We should try to bust this out before the end of uh, spooky season here. I wouldn't mind. I, you know, I'd like to compare and contrast here, you know, to like Mansions of Madness or something like that. Yeah, it's it's definitely more of a board. I, I mean, it's a different feel than um, like a Mansions of Madness. But I mean, still kind of that same theme of investigate, find something. Big event happens. You need to deal with it. And yeah always trying to run around and figure out I almost I almost feel like Elder Chorro has a little bit of like lessons learned from things like pandemic because it's like you're always like how the hell do I get the right person to the right place in the world mm. to deal with this problem right so um so they they take almost like a little bit from that in my opinion I mean but not like in a pandemic way like you know, there's always something blowing up in the world. It's just a question of, can you get somebody there to deal with it? Hey, that was a big list of games. So again, for Suzanne and my cho- choices, head on over to YouTube and catch that video. You can find a link to the video in the show notes from this episode on our website at wiscodice.com. Of course, not only is it spooky season and it's a great time to get these games to the table, but these games are always great to get to the table no matter what time of the year it is. It just helps add to the spooky fun that is Halloween and the Halloween season. Of course, we caught up on the news and there was quite a bit of news, so hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, of course, make sure that you catch up with us at any of the cons, whether it's Gamehole Con, Renegade, or the Midwinter Gaming Convention. We'd love to see you there. And, of course, I Am Root just happened to be uh, one of the games that we've been playing. And, of course, uh, Castles of Burgundy was also a fun chat. 
So that ta- wraps it up for episode 115 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Ah, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.